Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us, we have Michael Brenner, Professor of Jewish History and Culture at the University of Munich, and Seymour and Lillian Abenson Chair in Israel Studies at the American University in Washington, D.C. He is the editor of the new book, A History of Jews in Germany Since 1945, Politics, Culture and Society, translated by Kenneth Cronenberg and published by the Indiana Indiana University Press in 2018. Michael, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. So could you tell us a bit about the genesis of this book? Sure. Um, It actually originated as a follow-up to a much larger project in the 1990s, the Leo Beck Institute, which is the major research institute um, uh, dealing with the uh, cultural heritage and the history of German-speaking Jewry, um, issued a four-volume history of Jews in the modern German-speaking world, modern meaning since after the Middle Ages. So we did these four volumes in the 1990s and um, realized that the four volumes uh, really ended in in the 1940s with a short epilogue after World War II, but the epilogue was really on the German-Jewish diaspora. And since 1945... um, when this new project was initiated, uh, it was about 70-something uh, years uh, since, uh, you know, there is a new German-Jewish community, in a Jewish community in Germany. So we thought the time has come um, to write, a, again, a collective history of Jews in Germany after 1945, and not to claim that this history has come to an end um, with the Nazis. Great. So it's definitely a very important project. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about how you brought in uh, different authors for different sections of this book and tell us a bit about how the book is structured? Right. So the book, it's not a, a... edited volume is so many other edited volumes where you just collect um, specialties for every author. We um, wanted to write a chronological history of Jews in Germany from 1945 until today. And for that purpose, we thought we would ask the experts in each period um, to contribute to the book. And we also, uh, as with the previous history, we wanted to uh, invite uh, colleagues from different countries and different backgrounds. So we have German and British and American and Israeli authors in the volume. And um, still, it should read as one history, with the one exception that we do have a, a first chapter which is not just an introduction, but it also um, should give kind of an interpretation of this history. The first chapter is called Banished, and it plays, of course, with the idea that for many Jews after the Holocaust, it was not only unimaginable that Jews should live in Germany, it was also something they thought should not happen. So 
it was kind of a almost forbidden history. After what the Nazis had done, the idea was Jews should not live in Germany. And in fact, the World Jewish Congress issued a, um, a resolution in uh, the late 1940s saying there should never be again a Jewish life on this blood-stained soil of Germany. Uh, so the first section of the book after that uh, introductory essay uh, is called Way Station. And it covers the period 1945 to 1949. Tell us about this time in the life of the Jews um, of Germany. Um, yes, and in in many ways, this is the the, the chapter uh, which is today um, better researched than the more recent chapters. It's a fascinating chapter. We have um, actually an influx of Jews into Germany right after. Um, the fall of Nazi Germany. And, of course, most people who are not familiar with this history would ask themselves, why why the hell would Jews come to Germany after 1945? Because most of the Jews who live in Germany between 1945 and 50, they were not German Jews. They were East European Jews. And why were they in Germany? Well, for different reasons. Uh, Some of them, of course, were liberated on German soil um, in uh, March, April, and May of 1945. Um, they were um, some of them were uh, part of the terrible death marches and were liberated and, and still survived. And others were in concentration camps like Dachau, Flossenburg, and others, um, where many of these European Jews were brought to uh, in 1944. Uh, Others, though, arrived in Germany only after the war was over. And these were mainly East European Jews, and in fact, mainly Polish Jews. Many of them had survived the war um, in the Soviet Union. They had fled from Hitler uh, between 1939 and 1941 eastwards and survived often very deep into the Soviet Union, came back to Poland, saw what had happened, didn't find any relatives, saw a totally destroyed um, uh, communities, and realized that there was still a lot of anti-Semitism going on in Poland, uh, culminating in a pogrom in the town of Kielce in uh, on, uh, July of 1946, where over 40 people were killed just in one day. So... Where could they go? Where could the Jews of Eastern Europe go if they did not want to stay there? Of course, many of them wanted to go to the Jewish state, to Israel, but Israel didn't exist yet. So, and the British didn't let them in. Others wanted to go to America, the United States, but the United States didn't let most of them in because they had very restrictive immigration laws. So where can you go? You went to the American zone of Germany, which was conceived as a stepping stone to their um, ultimate emigration, either to Israel, once the Jewish state was established, or to America or to any other place. The next section of the book is titled Consolidation and covers the period 1950 to 1967. Tell us a bit about this. Sure. Uh, Maybe let me say another sentence about Jewish life before 1950 so we understand the big change in 1950. Um, What we see is um, 
a flourishing Jewish life in Germany between 45 and 50 um, with Jewish sports clubs, with uh, uh, yeshivot, uh, with religious institutions, with schools, with kindergartens. Many people get married now, have children. Um, we see the- Yiddish theater, about a hundred different Jewish newspapers, mainly printed in Yiddish, political activities. All of these Jews who are called displaced persons or DPs, um, are organized politically. Many of them live in camps, in so-called DP camps, but others live just among the German populations in Germany. So this is the period before 1950. Once the State of Israel is established on May 14th, 1948, they have, of course, the possibility to leave Germany and go to Israel. And many of them do. And only briefly that the United States change their immigration laws and a larger number of East European Jews go to America as well. But about 10% of these East European Jewish displaced persons um, stay there. What's the number we're talking about? Um, The approximate number before 1949 was about 250,000 Jews living in Germany, mostly in the American zone, um, 10%, so we talk about 20, 25,000 East European Jews, plus a smaller number of German Jews who had survived either in hiding or uh, had survived concentration camps or survived because they were either married to a non-Jewish spouse or had one non-Jewish parent, and that um, helped many of them to survive as well. So we have these different groups of East European Jews who clearly, um, who stay in Germany but find themselves um, in a situation where they have to justify their existence there as temporary. And we have the other group of German Jews. Uh, And by 1950, we also have among them those who returned from emigration, from exile, different countries, and uh, want to reestablish new communities. And in 1950, the German, mainly German Jews, um, establish the Center Council of Jews in Germany. Now, pay attention how it's called. It's not called German Jews. It's called Jews in Germany. Very different from what German Jews regarded themselves before 1933, uh, where they usually referred to themselves as Germans of the Jewish faith. They realize we cannot just continue. Um, where we had stopped in 1945. Um, We are Jews in Germany now. We may have a temporary existence. Nobody knew there would be a future of Jews in Germany. But for those who were there, and some of them came back in order to help to build up not only one new Germany, but two new Germanys, because some came back to Eastern Germany. Um, they reestablished the new communities um, and in 1950 founded the Central Council of Jews in Germany. Um, They built synagogues. They created, um, I would say, basic forms of Jewish life. But the community was very small. Um, Often the German Jews um, resisted to... Um, East Europe for, to, for East European Jews to take control over the communities, although East European Jews in many places, especially in the south of Germany, were the majority. 
Um, the struggles between German Jews and East European Jews, which we know from before 1933, uh, went on after 1945. In some places, in some Jewish communities, the German Jews did not want to give them voting rights, or at least equal voting rights. So we have these fights going on in the 50s and 60s, but slowly calming down. With two very different communities. In the south of Germany, in the areas that used to be the American zone of Germany, the majority, the clear majority, are East European Jewish TPs who decided to stay. In the north, the former British zone, um, the British did not want to let in East European Jews. We have a majority of German Jews, and these are the smaller communities. The center of Jewish life in the uh, 40s and 50s, late 40s and 50s, is Munich. And then it may it shifts a little bit to Frankfurt. But the headquarter of the German Jewish organizations is somewhere else. It's in Cologne and Dusseldorf, where the German Jewish newspaper um, is printed, where the Central Council of Jews has its seat. And then, of course, there's Berlin, which is this island in the middle of East Germany, um, West Berlin, uh, where Jews... Um, are just as everyone else are part of a kind of distinct community. Then you have a small Jewish community in what used to be the French zone and in uh, in a region which actually still is not part of Germany, the Saarland and the Saar region. Um, these are very much oriented towards France. And finally, there's a tiny community in East Germany, um, mainly German Jews, and many of them the Jews in East Germany, um, in fact, leave and flee again in 1952-53 when the anti-Semitic consequences of the Stalinist period, the Slansky trial in Prague with its anti-Semitic implications, swamp over to um, East Germany. So the community in East Germany then uh, becomes a very small community, which in fact is shrinking until the end of its existence, 1989, to a total of 350, 350 members in all of the communities of East Germany. The number of Jews in West Germany remains pretty much the same between the 50s and 80s, and it's about 30,000. It's a small, uh, tiny uh, community as well, but of course bigger than East Germany. It's about zero Uh, 0.05% of the German population. So most Germans don't know Jews in Germany anymore. However, they have a very important and strong symbolic value. As many German politicians and also representatives of the Allied powers stressed right after 45, Germany would, among other things, would be measured um, its its progress towards democracy would be measured how they treat their tiny Jewish communities after the war. So many Jews in the 50s and 60s, and they also later, um, had this, I would say, uh, a role almost like exotic animals, and you have to keep them and you have to protect them. And uh, although anti-Semitism does not appear overnight, it was also the exact opposite uh, building up philo-Semitism, that you have to treat them especially, you know, treat them nicely, um, treat them well, because it reflects on Germany's image in the world. So that was kind of the weird situation the small community uh, in Germany was trapped in. Yeah, that's very interesting. 
Um, maybe you could tell us a bit about uh, part three of your book, which is titled Alignments and covers the period uh, 60, 1968 to 1989. Sure. Um, so by the late 1960s, um, the situation had changed again. And I would say especially starting in the 70s and then it comes to full um, expression in the 1980s. It was clear by then that it was not a temporary community. It was a community to stay, even though it was a small community. Um, while some of the younger generation left, mainly for Israel or for other places, there were also new immigrants, Jewish immigrants, coming to Germany. Some of them of Jewish, of German descent. Um, they had, they or their children had emigrated, they or their parents had emigrate, emigrated from Germany earlier, they came back. But others who came uh, for political reasons from Poland uh, and from Czechoslovakia in 1968, from Israel, um, and from the Soviet Union in the 1970s when they opened their doors a little bit for Jews leaving. Some of them ended up in Germany as well. So the community remained at this level. And it was clear um, not everybody was leaving. And it was not this temporary community the founders had thought it would become. Um, and that means that in the 19. 70s and especially 1980s, new strategies were developed to plan ahead. Um, one thing we notice is a growing pluralism within the Jewish community. Although, as we know, the reform movement and the conservative movement had started in 19th century Germany, now after 1945, orthodoxy was dominant because the majority of the community were from Eastern Europe. Most of the synagogues were rather orthodox synagogues. In the 1980s, we see a diversification. More reform congregations um, are born. Some of them grow out of the American uh, Jewish community, mainly related to the presence of the U.S. Army in Germany. Something else happens. Uh, in the early and mid-1980s, the political expression of Jews in Germany becomes more self-confident. And the best example for this is when um, a play of the left-wing um, uh, playwright and, 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 and author, Sven um, Fassbinder, is um, shown in... Um, Frankfurt, or is on the schedule of the Frankfurt Theater. Um, it's a play that shows a, a, a Jewish um, real estate uh, magnate in Frankfurt and depicts him as an anonymous rich Jew. That's how he's called. And in fact, some people argued it portrayed the then president of the Frankfurt Jewish community and later president of the Jew German Jewish community, Ignaz Bubis. Uh, in quite hostile terms. Bubis and others of the community went to the theater the night the show should open, and they basically occupied the stage and prevented it from happening. And why was that so important? It was kind of a watershed in German Jewish history because 
for the first time we see Jewish politics in Germany switching from backstage politics where the representatives would deal in like diplomatic talks with the chancellor and the president and the different cabinet ministers now going out into into the open and protesting something they regarded as anti-Semitic. Similarly, around the same time, we're talking about the mid-80s, another um, out-in-the-streets protest took place when then-Chancellor Helmut Kohl and U.S. President Reagan um, visited a cemetery in Bitburg where SS men were buried, among others, and the Jewish community thought that was not appropriate as a gesture of reconciliation. There are many gestures of reconciliation, but not over the graves of SS men. And they staged a large protest as well. So we see something of a political awakening and of a Jewish community becoming more confident in the 1980s. Great. So the last section of the book is called New Directions and covers the period 1990 to 2012. Tell us about these new directions. Yes, so something really unexpected happened uh, when uh, of all dates on November 9th, 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. I say of all dates because that November 9th, of course, was kind of the sacred date in the German Jewish calendar. It was Kristallnacht, 1938, when the synagogues in Germany went up in flames. 51 years later, in 1989, the wall comes down that day, and nobody could envision what this would mean for the development of the German Jewish community. But a year, two years, three years later, it was very clear there was something happening nobody had envisioned. Russian Jews, or Jews from the former Soviet Union, to be more precise, um, were now able to leave. And most of them went to Israel. Many of them went to the United States. But over 100,000, maybe 150 to 200,000 of them, over the next two decades, went to Germany. Because besides Israel, Germany was the one country that could not say no to Jews knocking at its doors. So the Bundestag, the German parliament, um, passed a specific um, law which would enable it for uh, Jewish refugees from the former Soviet Union to settle in Germany. Over the next decade or so, in the 1990s, uh, the German Jewish community grew, and now I'm only talking about the members within the community, from about 28,000 to over 100,000, but many others were there who were not, who did not join the official Jewish congregations, communities. So the number um, at least quadrupled. And in fact, in many of the, especially the smaller Jewish communities, 80, 90% of the members were Russian speaking. And there were towns in Germany, where there was no Jewish, no Jewish community before the 1990s, and now the Russian Jewish immigrants established new communities as well, which were 100% percent 
And I think it's, no under, it's not an exaggeration to say um, the influx of these Jews from the former Soviet Union, from Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, Latvia, Lithuania, they saved the future of German Jewry. Without their influx, the Jewish community would have actually, the numbers would have gone back. Now, of course, they came from a very different background. They came from a state that was atheistic, that was did not allow um, the practice of Jewish religion in many respects, or the learning of Hebrew. Uh, and many of them, well, most of these new uh, arrivals, um, did not know much about what the practicing of Jewish religion means, but they knew they were Jews. They knew they had written Jewish as their nationality in their ID cards, and they were able to leave the Soviet Union to Germany because they were Jewish. But they had they brought with them a different, a secular definition of what it meant to be Jewish. This, together with the cultural and language issues, they were speaking Russian, also led to conflicts within many Jewish communities. Uh, many of the older German Jews, who in fact were usually the children of Polish Jews who had come in 45 to 50, um, said, well, we can't even communicate. They're all speaking Russian. Everything is Russian now. But they also realized they're saving the future of these communities. And I would say that in the next generation, the children growing up now, um, the differences did not disappear. But the main differences um, are waning. The language, so they all grow up as, as German speakers, the children who grew up in the Jewish communities now. Um, their parents have different backgrounds, but that was the case before. But I would say they're all growing into one new German-Jewish community, which is very different uh, and much more vibrant than the one before. Um, one example, there are now three rabbinical seminaries in Germany, and that's only in the last 20 years. Before that, it was very difficult to find rabbis in Germany, especially German-speaking rabbis in Germany. Um, they had to be imported from Israel, from America. They had very little in common with the communities. Today, for the first time, Germany is actually exporting rabbis. They produce their own rabbis, um, reform, conservative, and orthodox, and they also are able to send them in other communities. Um, but even if we don't look at the um, religious sphere, we see a community that is much more visible. Um, more non-Jewish Germans today actually are able to meet Jews, although they're still a small minority, um, but not as small as they used to be. But at the same time, and that's a very contemporary problem, of course, they're also facing new challenges. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, not only in Germany, but all over Europe, and in fact, I would say all over the world. If we just see what happened in the United States uh, recently with the massacre in Pittsburgh. Um, but in Germany, we feel that too. Um, there is anti-Semitism from the right. We have right-wing populist parties, which of course claim not to be anti-Semitic and try to embrace Israel, but there's a lot of um, um, anti-Semitism hidden or sometimes not so hidden in their speeches. Um, when it comes to the Holocaust, they're very apologetic and don't want to face it as German society has faced it for many decades. And at the same time, you have 
um, extremist organizations on the other side of the spectrum um, who are um, sometimes very violently against Israel. And of course, some of them are also part of the immigration uh, community that come from Arab countries into Europe. So you face a much more, um, I would say, much less friendly environment today than 20 or 30 years ago when the Jewish community was was much uh, smaller. And in that respect, we really don't know what the future will bring. Um, uh, On the one hand, you have today again Jews in Germany who are scared to live in Germany or in Europe. But at the same time, you have thousands of Jews who come to Germany. And where do they come from today? From Israel. In Berlin, we don't have exact numbers, but most people who know the scene estimate that there are 20 to 25,000 Israelis living in Berlin today, mostly young people um, who found the city, who find the city attractive, who find it um, relatively inexpensive compared to Tel Aviv or to European, uh, to other European big cities. They find it extremely diverse and welcoming. So we have movements in both directions, and certainly a Jewish community in Germany, um, which is much more diverse, vibrant, and also religiously active than it has it ever has been after 1945. Fantastic. Um, so thanks very much for uh, giving us that great summary of um, this very important um, book project. Um, Before we let you go, Michael, um, would you be able to tell us a bit about what you're working on next? Sure. Um, I am just completing uh, a manuscript on um, the... It's set in Munich after World War I, and it's the background to the rise of Hitler. Um, It is really... Uh, about Jews and anti-Semites in Munich uh, around the time, I would say, when Hitler became Hitler, when he developed his political ideologies. Uh, It starts with the revolution of 1918-19 with many Jewish leaders in Bavaria in Munich, and it ends with the failed beer hall putsch of Hitler in 1923. Well, that sounds like um, a really great project, and um, we certainly hope to have you on New Books in Jewish Studies again um, to talk about that. Um, but that's all the time we have left for today. Um, so thanks very much for listening to New Books in Jewish Studies um, with your host, Max Kaiser. Um, with us today, we had Michael Brenner, Professor of Jewish History and Culture at the University of Munich and Seymour and Lillian Abenson Chair in Israel Studies at the American University in Washington, D.C. Um, and he talked to us about the book that he's edited, A History of Jews in Germany Since 1945, Politics, Culture and Society. Uh, the book was translated by Kenneth Cronenberg into English and it was published by Indiana University Press in 2018. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.